Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, we're going to talk about the Arizona Supreme Court. Uh, This week, Governor Ducey appointed a new Supreme Court uh, justice. And on paper, this is a simple fulfillment of his constitutional duty as governor. But uh, this decision uh, to appoint Maricopa County Prosecutor Bill Montgomery uh, has generated a lot of controversy. So we're going to unpack the kind of the three layers of controversy uh, for this appointment, starting with uh, the first, the expansion in the first place of the Supreme Court from five members to seven members. Second, the, uh, the dynamic and makeup of the nominating commission of people who choose the names. That's the Commission of Appellate Court Appointments, uh, who sits on that, and, and there's a controversy behind that. And then and third, the, the choice of Bill Montgomery himself, um, some questions about his qualifications and his politics being on the Supreme Court. So let's talk about that first one. First, uh, the expansion itself. Uh, the Arizona Supreme Court had five members on it. Uh, it was expanded uh, under Governor Ducey and a Republican-controlled legislature to seven. Some people will say that was an attempt at court packing. Uh, so why, why was that expanded, and do you think that was a legit or not legit uh, expansion of the Supreme Court? Um, I think it was uh, legitimate. Um, The chief justice at the time, Scott Bales, um, opposed it and said that it was unnecessary. Uh, The business community was advocating for it, um, saying that the Supreme Court, because of its priorities, uh, were not providing sufficient priority and clarity uh, to business law issues. Uh, and I think that is was a fair evaluation, despite Bale's um, rejection uh, of it. The, the Supreme Court has to give first priority to death penalty cases. They review all death penalty cases. Um, criminal trials obviously get a priority. Uh, major constitutional issues get a priority. Um, and, and they can only accept a certain number of cases. Since the um, expansion, uh, the court indeed uh, has uh, accepted more cases and made more decisions, uh, not by leaps and bounds, but uh, notably. Uh, And there's actually been more dissents um, so that you've got uh, a greater uh, discussion going on of some of the legal issues that might, with a uh, smaller court, uh, have been uh, left on the wayside. So um, there may very well have been a partisan interest in expanding the court at a point in time in which you had a Republican governor who would make the nominations, um, although that decision was made prior to Ducey's re-election. The outcome might have turned out differently, but there, there probably was a partisan motivation to it. Uh, but I also believe there was a legitimate interest by the business community to expand the number of cases that the court 
took uh, and the number of decisions that it rendered, particularly on business law matters. And I think the early indications are that it has had that result. So if there was a if there was a pr- this problem of, of a backlog and not being able to hear as many cases as they should, and there was a legitimate need for that, well, why did Chief Justice Scott Bales at the time say that it wasn't necessary and a lot of other Democrats would say would make the argument that it's not ne- it wasn't necessary. What was his justice? Well, well most most of the the legislative Democrats that that made that argument and said that it was exclusively a court packing scheme were based upon Bales's um, judgment. Bales is not a partisan guy. Um, I think he uh, legitimately uh, and genuinely. Um, believed that it was unnecessary that the case, that the court was accepting uh, all of um, the cases that it should, and that there wasn't the problem that the business community was asserting. Um, I just disagree with him, and I think the results after the expansion um, validate uh, that a larger court has um, done more and gotten to more issues that otherwise might have fallen by the wayside. I think maybe another controversial part, maybe another critique that that people more on the left would would, would bring here is that, you know, okay, so you have the situation where the business community wants something, they lobby the, you know, the government and they get it, right? Whereas the education community might be lobbying for something and, and not get it for decades uh, type thing. So it might be like, well, why, why is your interest getting priority in this government matter that's supposed to represent everyone over everyone else. Well, that's a matter of winning elections. Right. <laughs> there's no question. And, and, and I, I think there's no question that there probably was a partisan um, element here and, and a desire to increase the number of um, Supreme Court justices that were appointed by a, a uh, Republican governor. And there's no question that the business community gets more out of this particular legislature than the education community, and and that's because of the decisions that voters make as to who to populate the place with. So the second point of controversy is with the nominating commission. So there's there's a commission of, uh, I think, five attorneys and and ten non-attorneys that get appointed and this uh, commission on appellate court appointments get to choose the people that the governor can choose. So it's not like the national government where the governor or the president picks someone and then it gets confirmed by the uh, by the Senate. Um, this commission, um, which is chosen by the governor and then confirmed by the Senate, they pick uh, who gets to be picked on the Supreme Court. Whoever the commission picks, the governor can pick any of those names. Um, and so, and this was, uh, I saw this pointed out by uh, State Senator uh, Martin Quezada uh, about there's a, uh, in the Arizona Constitution, it says that this commission that picks who can be picked uh, is is supposed to reflect uh, the diversity of, of the state. And there's, there's a legal requirement that they can't all be from the same party. They have to be in different parties. But it also says it should reflect the diversity of Arizona's population. And the critique of this commission is that 
there are no Democrats on this commission right now. There are Republicans, independents. Um, and uh, Quezada also uh, says that there is definitely not the representative in terms of you know racial demographics of Arizona on this commission either. Um, why not? I mean, it, I guess if this is in the Constitution, who would challenge that? Or if, if this is an unconstitutional commission, why hasn't it been rectified to, to, to meet the standards of the Constitution? Well, let me uh, first of all say that I think here um, the criticism uh, is valid. Um, I do believe that the composition of the nominating commission um, resulting from uh, Ducey's uh, appointments and confirmation by the Senate uh, violate uh, or do not fulfill uh, the intent of this particular constitutional provision and this body. Uh, I'm not real fond of dividing people into um, gender and, and color and counting noses, um, uh, but the partisan registration is a, a pretty uh, concrete uh, thing. At the time that this was adopted in, in Arizona, went to a merit system for um, appellate justices and and Superior Court Justices in Maricopa and Pima County, uh, there wasn't a large independent um, registration in the state. Uh, and, and the clear intent was that this would be sort of a bipartisan commission. Uh, and uh, the fact that there are no Democrats on it, I think, does violate the spirit of it. Uh, it would be, uh, I don't know who might have standing to, to sue uh, over this, uh, but, I mean, those are aspirational goals, and, and I think a court, uh, if there was such a challenge, would be reluctant to uh, say, okay, these are the, here, here, here's, our, here's your diversity requirement that you've got to meet, here's the quotas that you've got to meet. But no question, having no Democrats on this particular commission um, violates uh, what was intended to be the bipartisan nature of the exercise. Yeah, and then in terms of who the who the commission can pick to be on it, uh, that part of the Constitution uh, in the in the same or in the next section says that final decisions as to recommendations uh, in terms of who's selected by the commission shall be made without regard to political affiliation in an impartial and objective manner. And the commission shall consider the diversity of the state's population. However, the primary consideration shall be merit. And, and, and there is also a requirement that the slate that the commission offers to the governor uh, also uh, not uh, be overly represented by uh, re by nominees of a particular party. There has to be a party balance to the slate that's offered to the governor um, as well. But it kind of seems that you you agree that that you know that it's not just optics here. That that is some that there should be at least a few Democrats on this commission. Absolutely, the, I, I I think the failure to have any Democrats on on the commission or even a pretty good representative sample of Democrats um, violates what was intended to be the bipartisan nature of the exercise. And the only explanation I can think of for why you would do that is, you know, pure sort of power play politics to just make sure you get your desired outcome, whether it's 
the well, people you want on the on the on the Supreme Court to pick, or um, we talked about it a couple episodes ago that the redistricting these these are the same commission that's going to be drawing up the new uh, districts after the census. Well, well they they select the nominees who, right, right. for the right. redistricting commission, which, so which has a huge impact that. on uh, on that stuff. So, I mean, the only explanation I can think of is we want to make sure we get outcomes we want as Republicans. So let's. Let's let's make sure we have the most favorable commission possible. I, I, I think that's the largest explanation and uh, mostly motivated by the redistricting commission and less so uh, in terms of the judicial nominations. The only um, uh, factor that provides some excuse for it uh, is uh, the rise of independent registration in the state, which didn't exist at the time yeah. that this provision was adopted. And so the majority isn't going to give up its slots on uh, the uh, commission, uh, which means that if you're going to give representation to independents, um, which uh, now outnumber Democrats in the state, that's going to come at the expense of some of the minority party slots. Um, it doesn't, in my judgment, exclude uh, having a big zero um, for the yeah. for the minority party and allocating all of those seats uh, to independents. I think you know, to me, that's that's something that is understandably frustrating. You're talking about you know the the, the courts are supposed to be sort of the referees of our system, and 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 the redistricting commission is supposed to be an independent sort of nonpartisan exercise that they're setting the rules are kind of the referees and you know i i try to be sympathetic to you know to all persu political persuasions but it's kind of hard to you know to me it, rem it reminds me of sort of the uh, in national politics the sort of mitch mcconnell power play sort of thing where it's like well this is obviously not fair to to you but i don't care i'm i'm, I'm gonna do it because i can and this is a this is kind of the power play um and I don't know. I just think, yeah, you, you you can get away with that, but it sort of, you know, especially when there's like important, all of these decisions that the Supreme Court makes are important. They shape the laws and 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 everything about our our political system. But especially when there's like a really important decision, like recently that Invest in Ed decision a couple of years ago, I think it's important that the public has a sense of trust that the people that are in the Supreme court and, and making these decisions are doing so fairly. And, and, and this, uh, you know, the power plays both on the national level and here at the state level, I think just, even if it's just optics, which maybe these people get chosen for this position and they, they interpret things fairly, but it, I think it diminishes people's sense of, of fairness and trust in their, in their government. I, I think criticism and ire directed at uh, the composition of uh, the commission um, is fair and understandable. I will say that on the judicial side, I think it has resulted in um, highly qualified and uh, very good selections um, to the Arizona Supreme Court. And then maybe, I mean, there's also uh, in the part of people who don't get the picks that they want as a result of these process, there's an incentive to politicize that, right? And, and, and to, and, and to 
you know, for the invest in ed thing to, to not even recognize that there were errors in the writing of the thing and just say, this is unfair and well, this and is corrupt. And, and, um, but it's, it's sort of, uh, when there are these sort of, you know, you kind of should have at least put some Democrats on there. It kind of gives legitimacy to their arguments that it is biased against them. Yeah, I, uh, as I said, I think criticism and I are directed at the composition of uh, the commission is fair and warranted and understandable. So this brings up the uh, sort of the main news this week that uh, of the decision to pick uh, Bill Montgomery, who was a prosecutor in, in Maricopa County, known to be uh, tough on crime, uh, very resistant to criminal justice reform, has been influential in, in lobbying uh, the legislature and the governor um, to kill reform efforts related to uh, criminal justice reform issues. There are other controversies about him as a as kind of like a um, in terms of a political operator and and known to be a conservative person, um, as well as some questions about his qualifications being you know, never having been a. Um, a judge and stuff like that. Um, your response to the to the controversy over Bill Montgomery himself as a person uh, on the Supreme Court? I, I think Montgomery is an acceptable um, appointment. Um, I don't think that he is as strong of a candidate as the other appointments that um, Ducey uh, has made. Um, but I do believe that the criticism that he was unqualified uh, because um, of a lack of um, bench experience or much personal trial experience uh, was uh, misplaced and unfair and um, politically motivated because of his strong and effective opposition uh, to substantial criminal uh, justice reform. He's headed up um, the uh, county attorney's office um, for close to a decade now. Uh, and that office undoubtedly uh, is involved in more criminal, civil, and appellate matters than any other organization um, in the entire state and probably by a very large margin. And uh, Montgomery has been a hands-on administrator. He's been involved in all these decisions. Uh, so I think that that uh, well qualifies him to uh, sit on the bench and consider these matters as they uh, come to the bench. Um, the notion that this whole thing has been arranged to get Montgomery on the bench. From the very beginning. To, the- to, 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 to expand the court, to stack the... Uh, commission, uh, all with the objective of getting Bill Montgomery on the court, um, I, I think is a conspiracy theory a little bit too rot. There, there was no question that uh, Doug Ducey had a very high opinion of Bill Montgomery. He's expressed it. He's deferred and relied upon Montgomery for advice on uh, criminal justice matters. Uh, Montgomery is very well thought of in conservative legal circles, which are circles that Ducey relies upon. 
Um, I, I do think that he's a weaker nominee than some of uh, the others, but I think he was perfectly um, acceptable and, and, and qualified, and that the opposition to him was actually more political uh, than was his appointment. So he said uh, in, in, in selecting Bill Montgomery, uh, Ducey said in a tweet that he was looking for a candidate who had an understanding of the law, a well-developed judicial philosophy, appreciation for the separation of powers and a, and a de- dedication to public service, someone that was going to interpret the law, not want to write the law. And um, I'm sure, and I don't, I don't know a lot about the people that were on there other than Montgomery, but I'm sure that there were seven names he could have chosen this time around. The commission brought him seven names. I'm sure that the other six names, there were people who could have um, interpreted the Constitution fairly, that had a developed judicial philosophy, that believed in the separation of powers. Um, and any one of those would not have generated a blip of controversy or a perception that uh, the, the Supreme Court's being rigged. Um, so why, why pick the one person that's going to generate serious controversy and, and call into question in a lot of people's minds, even I think a lot of independents' minds, whether we're, the Supreme Court is, is going to be giving a fair shake? But, well, this was unusual for Ducey because he usually avoids um, political controversy and he stepped right into one with this appointment. Um, And I think based upon the past relationship that uh, he's had and the high regard that he has expressed uh, for Montgomery, that he just thought uh, that highly of Montgomery as an individual and uh, as a legal mind and as a jurist. I mean, he uh, Montgomery uh, came from difficult family uh, circumstances. He got into West Point. Um, he fought in combat. He had a bronze star. He went on to law school. Um, he's led the state's uh, largest uh, legal organization for nine years. Um, he's become highly knowledgeable about a large number of, of items. And I just think Ducey thought enough of Bill Montgomery and a desire to have Bill Montgomery on the court that he was willing to uh, endure um, the political controversy that you are correct uh, could have been sidestepped with another nominee. And thought that his judicial philosophy and his, his, his interpretation skills would be best, that, that he's got that much respect for his like legal mind. Um, or, or is it like, this is, this is my guy, I like him, um, I, re- I admire him, and I want to give him this um, prestigious role? I, I don't think that he would regard... There were other nominees that, that I think um, would be uh, at least... I mean, Ducey interviews all of them mm-hmm. before he chooses. Um, and, and I um, am sure there are other nominees that... Um, had fine legal minds and the same kind of legal interpretation uh, or legal philosophy that Ducey is looking for um, on the bench. Uh, I do believe that probably the deciding factor uh, was admiration for Bill Montgomery, uh, the person, and the high regard in which he is uh, held uh, within conservative legal circles. 
do you think it's going to be possible for him? He's obviously got strong views on what law should be uh, on on certain areas, especially with with the criminal justice reform. Do you think, or how much do you think that sort of personal view on on the law ends up showing up in decisions, votes, rationales on on looking at uh, things? Is it, can you easily switch hats from this is what I want? From 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 the law to totally non nonpartisan. Let me just look on on terms of the law and my legal interpretation of the law. What's a ball and a strike? Well, as a judge, I'm anticipating that he will be a strict constructionist and apply the law as it is written, not as he would prefer it to be. Um, the court does deal with a a variety of questions from time to time um, about the powers of a prosecutor or the powers of law enforcement and the extent to which they are limited by various constitutional or statutory uh, restrictions. And I think it's fair to assume that uh, Montgomery will view those uh, from a prosecutorial uh, vantage point more than some of the other members of the court. But one of the things that I think is overlooked in all of this controversy is that there have already been a lot of disagreements between Ducey's uh, appointments to the court um, over uh, the matters that the court are deciding. Uh, there, there has been uh, an increase in dissents and, and usually dissents that are uh, filed by uh, Ducey appointees. So these are not people who, while they may share a general orientation about the role of a judge, uh, they're not people that act in lockstep uh, in the way that they view specific cases before them or feel as though they're part of team Ducey on the court right. uh, and have to all agree. These are very smart people. They're very independently minded. Uh, they come to different conclusions about things and express it uh, vigorously. Um, so they're actually, I think, will be within the constraints of sort of a strict constructionist view of the role of judges. Um, there, there will be a lot of uh, intellectual diversity and disagreement on this court, and I don't think that Montgomery will automatically fit. There haven't been factions that have developed on this court yet. I don't know that there will, and I don't think one can predict if there were factions that mm -hmm. developed where Montgomery would end up. So you think in, in general the court as a whole can be described as leading towards strict constitutional interpretation. Um, do you think the court kind of reflects the um, political, is there enough, uh, you think political representation, different political views are are represented on? Like, I guess uh, Chief Justice Scott Bales was a Democrat, right. and, and is that um, well, I guess first, maybe why did he decide to step down? And is there a, is there a hole? Is there a vacuum now of his sort of uh, persuasion or, or uh, perspective that's now going to be missing? That maybe some more progressive-minded people in Arizona uh, 
would like to see. Well, what, what's interesting is is the conservative view of judging um, renders the political affiliation of judges less important uh, because you're supposed to rely on the text and original intent, uh, not what you think the outcome should be. Um, it, it, certainly, uh, Bales was more on the activist side, uh, and um, there are no Democrats on on the Arizona Supreme Court now. So, so no, it doesn't reflect the political makeup of the uh, state. Uh, but as I said, paradoxically, uh, if they're conservative judges, that doesn't matter as much as if. Uh, they're uh, liberal judges, and there's there's not as many uh, cases before the state Supreme Court in which that difference in judicial philosophy matters as much as it does at the U.S. Supreme Court. The, the Arizona Supreme Court deals with a lot of fairly technical um, legal issues, uh, and I don't know that a... Uh, liberal judge sees them a lot differently than a conservative judge. It's an awful lot of trying to figure out where there's gray, um, where you want to set the line uh, in terms of creating the rules of the road for future litigants. Right. Um, so, so no, the court does not reflect the political composition of the state. I don't think it matters in terms of having high-quality uh, justice and as I said, um, I think for the most part, well, universally, these are very good, outstanding nominees um, who will serve the state well in exercising the judicial function in a strict constructionist, originist um, jurisprudence uh, in which the preferences of the judges are less important. So last question here, uh, or I guess a, a question for just reflection. The Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame uh, just had their, their latest induction class, and Paul Westfall was, was chosen as a Hall of Famer. He led the Suns to their first NBA Finals in, in 76 and then coached the Suns in their second. And, and he's been a part of both – the only two Suns finals appearances versus a player in 76 and as a coach in uh, 93. Uh, well, can you share some reflections? You've watched him as a player I did. And, and watched him as a coach. What are some of your thoughts on him both as a player and then, then later as a coach? Um, I loved watching Paul Westfall play, play basketball. Uh, he was so innovative and creative and clutch. Um, uh, I, I like, as you know, if more of a freewheeling style of basketball, and and uh, he uh, he was a uh, field general on the court and could contort and get shots off and in um, in highly imaginative ways. I also loved him as a coach um, because. He wasn't a jerk. <laughs> he, he sat on the bench. He watched the game. He made his substitutions. He called his timeouts. He called his plays. And when he got off the bench, he knew it was important. 
He wasn't there pacing up and down all the time and yelling at people all the time. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I think at all levels of basketball, um, we need more coaches like him. I was really surprised he wasn't more successful as a college coach. I would have thought he would have been a brilliant college coach, but um, for some reason that uh, never panned out for him. I just learned uh, this morning, actually, I was reading uh, Paul, Paul Coro used to write for the Arizona Republic, now uh, works for Grand Canyon. But I guess in 88, Paul Westfall coached Grand Canyon to a, I think it was the NAI, a smaller school championship. Um, but then I think he went to Pepperdine and USC, and uh, that was after he coached with the Suns in, uh, in 93. But uh, congratulations to a, a Suns legend, Paul Westfall, on his induction to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can find us on pretty much any podcasting app, including now the Political Notebook is available on Spotify. Thanks for listening.